Well, good morning and welcome to Christ Church Online. Great to be worshiping with you this morning. We're the Coburn family. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. I'm Samuel and this is Noah. And we've been attending Christ Church for a handful of years now. Now, admittedly, initially we were sitting in the back and content to do church from a distance. But through this church family, Christ has welcomed us to get more deeply involved. Now, I sing in the choir, Rachel ran a marathon with Team World Vision, and Samuel and Noah sing in the children's choirs and are actively involved in Sunday school. Hi. So we dearly miss seeing you, and we hope we can share a donut together again soon. But in the meantime, we hope you're staying healthy and finding reasons to lift one another up in these troubled times. Also, a special shout out for those of you who have been at home with young children for several months now. We get it. Um, we hope that you're staying sane, healthy, and finding outlets to burn out all the energy that they have. A very special thank you to Miss Sherry and Miss Natalie for their wonderful children Hi. lesson. Hi. <laughs> so if you're new here, we'd love to meet you. Please introduce yourself in the chat feature on our website or click the new here button on Facebook or do it next week, but just know that when you're ready, we'd love to meet you. We have a wonderful service of worship planned for you today. We're pre-recording this welcome from our home where we've been watching from our couch in pajamas, just like you. We pray that God will use this hour of worship to encourage and inspire you.
Father God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here today in your presence so that we can praise your name. Lord, we thank you for your love, your mercy, your faithfulness, your grace, and your peace that surpasses all understanding. And Lord, right now, today, we need that as a nation, as a world, because we are all struggling to try and just capture a glimpse of normalcy in our lives. And we know that we are not in control. Lord, we know you are in control. And that assurance just allows us to stand firm together in Christ without fear or hesitation. Lord, we ask that you just calm, calm our anxious hearts. Help us to find joy in the sorrows. Lord, we know you did not bring us this far to leave us. And we know that we are not alone. And with that hope, we know that we are mighty in the name of Jesus. We are strong in the name of Jesus. We are triumphant in the name of Jesus. And we love you, Lord. And we lift your name up. Because you and you alone are worthy to be praised. And it's in these things that we ask of you, Lord. We love you, Lord. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. Good morning and welcome to worship. If you're just tuning in, we are glad you're here. And if you are tuning into Christ Church and joining us for the first time this week, we offer you an extra warm welcome. We are so glad that you're here and that we get to worship with you. And we would really love to be able to connect you and start to get to know you a little bit better. And if you could help us with that process, that would be great. You'll notice near your screen, there's a new here button and you could click on that uh, or just type new here in the comments and one of our wonderful staff members or servant leaders will make a connection with you and get that um, process started. Another resource we wanna make everyone aware of is our resources for redemptive living page. With the plea that has gone out in recent weeks, we have had lots of requests for additional support and resources. And as we are studying and learning and finding those, we are updating that page regularly. So the resources for Redemptive Living page will be updated frequently and you can stop back there as you find yourself in need of resources. My name is Natalie Hayslip and I am the Children's Ministry Director here at Christ Church and I have multiple roles but I'm just going to talk to you about two of them here today. As a member of the family ministry team, I work with my colleagues to come alongside parents and equip them and empower them to be the spiritual leaders in their children's lives and provide them resources and ideas and tools to do that. And also then as a member of the children's ministry team, I work with Sherry Knudsen and Jenny Amade, and we equip the saints to carry out their call to disciple the next generation here at Christ Church. 
And so if either one of those is something that is a passion of yours or something you'd like to know more about, you can just let us know in the comments or email one of us and we would love to chat with you and um, to tell you more about what we do. Um, and sometimes when we're having those conversations with people, it involves a little bit of perspective change. Sometimes people don't see themselves in that role. And so perspective change is what I want to continue to talk to you about as we move on to worship today. I don't know about you, but in the beginning of COVID, when we were all being sent home, I found myself feeling um, a little bit of a little bit of apprehension and fear and and kind of acting from this place of scarcity and I felt myself maybe feeling the need to conserve resources personal resources and financial resources and I was very convicted by that because I knew that that was opposite of the truth that I should be feeling and experiencing and living out during that time period and so I really leaned into God's Word and he sent me reminders of his provision and his abundance and his generosity. And it really made me realize that I was focusing on the wrong things. My perspective was off when I was looking for abundance in my life. So I asked God to show me how he is um, generous to me beyond those ways. And he revealed to me things that, um, that had always been there, but I had not been appreciating correctly. So I just found myself appreciating his creation in such wonderful and new ways and um, just refreshing ways as I thought of how he provides food for us, but then also just beauty and enjoyment. And I looked at the people in my life that he has placed there with a new perspective as each ounce of kindness and love that flows down from God through them to me is an act of generous provision. And um, as I sat and just thought of his sacrifice of his own son, there is no more ultimate show of generosity than that. And, and as I considered all these things and appreciated these things, I could just feel this release, this change of perspective. And instead of this recoil and this um, scarcity feeling, I just felt like I wanted to reach out and to share love and encouragement and, and resources with those who need it. And so um, I don't know where you find yourself in that story this morning. But as we move into this song, this next song, maybe take some time to just reflect on that. And if you are finding yourself kind of closed off and in this, this place of scarcity, maybe it's just a time for you to sit and pray and ask God to help you release that and, and to have that perspective change. But if that's already been done for you during this season, maybe you are just looking for that way to, um, to share and, 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 and celebrate that abundancy that God has placed in your life. And so maybe that is you tuning in and, um, and connecting in the comments and asking for an opportunity to serve and get involved, or maybe it's an act of financial generosity. And if that is the case, then there are multiple ways for you to express that. You can share through text, you can also online share, or you can share that generosity by, by mailing in um, uh, your, your generous offering. And so just as we enter into this next song, I would just invite you to, to think of your perspective and just invite God into that place. 
days may be darkest, but your light is greater. You light our way, God, you light our way. When evil is rising, you're rising higher with power to save, with power to save. You keep hope alive. You keep hope alive from the beginning to end. Your word never fails. You keep hope alive because you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. Death had a stronghold, but your life was stronger. Rose from the grave, rose up from the grave. Yeah. When evil Friends, welcome. I'm so glad we could be connected together this day. I was thinking the other day that there are people that come into our life, or sometimes it's a book or something else that just seems to lift us up, that gives us an extra measure of hope and joy that that calls us forward in life. The book of Philippians, with its author, the Apostle Paul, with Timothy right by his side, uh, brings these kinds of things out in our lives. 
Today, we begin a new sermon series called Life Together. And we're gonna journey through the book of Philippians as we explore what it means to be the church together. And I just wanna challenge you, or not challenge, warn you, this book is gonna have some hope-filled encouragement and it is gonna challenge our everyday life, the alignment and actions of our lives. Before we jump into Philippians, I wanna give you a little bit of the backstory because you're gonna need to remember this, especially the makeup of the church every single week of this series. It's gonna matter and how we understand how to internalize this book into our lives. The Apostle Paul is the main writer of this book and Timothy is right along beside him and I'll share a little bit about Timothy in a moment, but Paul, you may remember, was a former Pharisee, one of the religious leaders that actually put Jesus to death. Paul was one of the best of the best. And after Jesus' crucifixion, Paul actually becomes one of the great persecutors of the church. His mission was to destroy the very church, the people, this movement of Jesus' followers that had been growing. And Paul was very good at it. He presided over executions of people. And we don't often think about this, but likely Paul would have even experienced seeing Christ crucified. Maybe was one of those jeering at him on the cross. He hated the church. But then he encounters Jesus, the person, the power and presence of Christ on the road one day and he repents. He actually now receives Christ as not just his savior, but now the Lord of his life that's gonna dictate his life from that point forward. And Paul actually now becomes one of the most influential leaders in the life of all the church. He's starting and planning churches all over the Roman Empire, which would have included Greece and Asia Minor, which was modern day Turkey. And when Paul writes this, he's in jail. He's in jail because of his faith. But what's amazing is that his faith does not waver. In fact, his love for Christ and his love for the church just continues to deepen and he writes letter after letter encouraging the church and all of its various places to deepen its life together, to deepen their expression of what it means for Christ to be their Lord and Savior wherever God has them. And then Timothy, as I said, young Timothy, this great and up and coming prominent leader is right beside him and Timothy comes to know Christ. He comes into the faith through his mother and his grandmother, the scriptures tell us. This is why we are so passionate, as Natalie just said about family ministries, that the role and the influence of parents and grandparents and families and the life of raising up the next generation of Christ followers is paramount. And we wanna do everything we can to invest into parents as well as the children and students that God brings our way. And so let me tell you a little bit about the church because this is really what you need to have a handle on. You see, they didn't have these amazing venues like we do today, the great cathedrals, and that wouldn't be built for hundreds of years later. They were more like watch parties, as we would call them today. Um, They were these groups of 20, 30, 40, maybe they could get 50 or 60 or more in a a larger room, but they were these smaller bands, these these communities that would gather together in the name of Christ. And let me tell you, it had never happened before this way. Because let me describe who would have been in the circle with you. If you were at the church in Philippi or one of these other churches that Paul had planted, you would have had Roman, Greek, and Jewish citizens, people from these backgrounds. And to complicate it, you would have had some that were Roman citizens and some that were not Roman citizens. These groups have very different 
political ideologies, very different understandings of morality, of how society was supposed to work, what justice looked like. That was a huge spectrum. And then to add to that spectrum, we had this economic diversity. You had some of the poorest people in your town sitting alongside perhaps the wealthiest person in your town. You would have had current slaves. You would have had slaves that are now free that were slaves before. You would have had craftsmen, small business owners, and more enterprising people. You would have had men and women together, young and old together. You would have had widows and some of the most vulnerable people in your town sitting in the room at the table with you. <clears throat> you would have had a few homeless people, likely homeless because of their faith. They were kicked out of their families and fired from their whatever jobs or trade they were in. They were left alone. But the church adopts them because they're part of this community. And to round it out, you probably had a few migrant workers, some specialty workers that were brought in because of the next major building project that Rome wanted to do in your town or city. Can you picture that? All of these people now sitting at the table, sharing meals together, talking, praying with each other under one roof and fellowship and relationship, and it had never happened before, not even close. You see, they did everything they could to keep themselves separate. They didn't even like oftentimes one another, but now all of these different groups with status and political backgrounds and all of these, as Scott McKnight, theologian calls it, a fellowship of difference now all in the room together, learning how to be one, learning how to live the life of Christ out through them. And let me tell you, it was very hard, but it was happening. Most of the books written in the New Testament are addressing how the church lives its life together. What's amazing is Paul, just earlier in the book of Ephesians, in two chapters, he talks about the mystery of the gospel. When you hear what is the mystery of the gospel, you tune in. Paul says it's Jew and Gentile. It's all this fellowship of difference, now learning to be one. He says that is the mystery of the gospel. So can you see it? Can you picture, can, can you put yourself in the living room with 20 or 30 people vastly different than you, except maybe your family that has joined you? Can you see how hard that would have been? So let me ask you this, are we that much different today? How would you evaluate, how would you rate the church, even our church today at how we are doing with unity among us, with all of our different understandings of politics and uh, economics and morality and differences and justice, keep adding to the list on and on and on. How are we doing at being one? of aligning our lives to one purpose greater than ourselves. I'm just gonna let that question hang for just a moment because I wanna bring you into this letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. <clears throat> so we're gonna have a little fun because I want you to use your imagination. I want you to enter into that room of maybe 30 other people and it's crowded and it's hot and there's some real frictions because you have some real differences among each other. But then one of the elders comes in. He bursts through the door and he's holding a scroll. It's a letter from the great apostle Paul and he's written it to you, to your little church, your community in Philippi. And so everyone is excited. They, they encourage the elder, oh, break the seal, open the letter, like look, read it to us. And so he breaks the seal of the scroll. He begins to unroll it. And he begins reading Paul's words to the Philippian church. 
and we are going to interact with this. So follow along with me, if you would. The elder begins to read, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. And immediately you're like, Timothy's with him. We've loved Timothy. We've heard so much about him. And and, we still can't believe that Paul would write to us. And isn't that just like Paul? that he would call himself a servant. I mean, he is the most revered leader we have, but he is always humbling himself and taking on this very position as a servant with us and all the churches. He goes on to say, to read, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons. Holy? Paul's calling us holy? Like God is holy. Christ is holy, set apart. And he's saying, well, I guess it's because we're in Christ Jesus that we are this holy people. Like, we never thought of ourselves like that before. in Philippi, I mean, we're just a group of maybe 30 people. Like, he would count us that significant in light of God to, to, to think of us as holy? The elder continues to read, grace and peace to you from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. I remember the first time God's grace touched my life and the lives of all of my brothers and sisters now in this room and peace. Oh, we've experienced peace beyond what we can even explain. Paul said it, but now we're understanding what that means and we know it only comes from God. It only comes through Jesus who's entered our life. The elder keeps reading. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership? The great apostle Paul is saying we're partners with with him? I mean, we're trying to grow in our faith. We're trying to live into, as he says, this new identity that now makes up this thing called the church. Like we're trying to grow and we're gospeling like Paul did. We're telling people about the story of Jesus. We're inviting them to be part of our community, to come over for dinner, to meet some of the others that have, have made up this group. <clears throat> We're trying to be generous. I mean, we just sent a gift to Paul a little while ago. We want the churches to flourish and thrive and have all the resources they need. Like, in fact, a few of the people are giving even beyond their means and their ability. It's motivated all of us. But a partner? Wow, that's, we never thought of ourselves as a partner in the gospel of what Jesus is doing. The elder continues to read, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The good work. The good work of us learning how to live into this salvation. This good work of us maturing in our faith to become like Jesus himself. This good work of us actually becoming one, this fellowship of difference, actually becoming the hands and feet of Jesus in our town of Philippi. And then the elder reads this. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains and Paul was in chains, he's in prison or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. For I testify how long, how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus. 
And because you are pretty skilled in the Greek language, you turn to one of your Jewish brothers who uh, doesn't know maybe the language as well, and you explain to him the words that Paul just used. He's talking about a, a gut level, a substance, this, this heart-wrenching kind of longing and love. The kind of longing and love we talk about when we talk about how Jesus loved the disciples and, and wept over Jerusalem, just wanting them to come into the kingdom. That kind of gut-wrenching love. And then the elder reads, this is my prayer, and everyone sits up because now Paul, the great apostle Paul is praying for you and your community. And he says, I pray that your love may abound more and more, that it will spill over in knowledge and depth of insight. This is not just head knowledge, this is relational knowledge. He's praying that they would actually come to know the presence of God, both with God and with one another. He says, I pray that you will be able to discern what is best. Paul's wanting us to live well with our actions and words and our behaviors and that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, that we would live authentically with sincerity and with a clear conscience every day and that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, this just good living that characterizes the fruit of the spirit that we heard Paul talk about once before. And it all comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God and we have just come to know that it's only because of Jesus that we can sit in this room together and learn to live into a new reality. See, this prayer and even this opening verses that, that Paul shares with the Philippian church, he is saying an awful lot of important things. But he is speaking so directly to their shared life together. And can't you just feel Paul's love for the church? I mean, it is just gushing and oozing out of him, just his heart strings of love for this community. <clears throat> um, and wanting them to just deepen in their love and oneness and their witness in the world. Uh, alongside one another. Can, can you feel that love? My question is, do you love the church like that? Do you love the church like Paul? Do you love the church like the Philippians were learning to love the church, this fellowship of difference? You may answer yes or maybe no. Some are saying maybe or I don't know. But whatever the case, I want to just step back and I want to talk about what is the church? Because I think we need to maybe deepen our own understanding of what it means to be the church. You see, when I asked, do you love the church? Notice I did not ask you, do you love our church services? <clears throat> the classic or the contemporary or the live stream. I didn't ask if you love our church buildings or our locations or the decor or, um, or the functionality, how the building's laid out. Notice I didn't ask you if you love a particular pastor or preacher or preaching style or one of the staff or its programs. Notice I didn't ask if you love our children's ministry, student ministry, small group ministry, men's, women's, older adult ministries, or any of our other programs. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask if the church is meeting your particular likings your desires, your list of preferences that you check off to determine whether or not you want to be a part of this community or another one. You see, something interesting has happened over the last few years when we use the word church. 
I believe it started all the way back in the Enlightenment <clears throat> a few hundred years ago when individualism was introduced and now is at an all-time high. Because see, what grew over the last hundred years was a, the church moving from a, an understanding of community, their identity of community, to that of personal salvation. Everything became very personal and individualistic. Even churches, think about how many churches might exist in one town, but yet how few of them are actually working and talking together. They're individual, they're separate. And then the other thing I think intriguing is how language shifted. When we talk about church, most often today, our language is very noun-centric. We've made church into a, a place or a thing. <clears throat> think about our language. We say, hey, where is your church? Uh, what time does your church begin? Or perhaps when we're, we're looking for something, it's, it's like we're, we're we're, the church becomes like, a, like a, a, a supermart of spiritual goods and services, like getting salad dressing out of, the, out of the aisle. We have all of these options and we pick the things that we want. We customize it for ourselves or, or we, um, we say things like, well, I'm just so glad the church is there when I need it. Now, I don't mean to, to phrase it all so negative because even all of those things I said are very good <clears throat> from its pastors to programs to buildings to all that we offer. See, those are all tools. Those are all things that we have access to to help people grow closer to God and to live life with one another. But when <clears throat> the things, when the tools become the focus, we drastically miss and I think do um, harm to what the church actually is. And that is what I wanna share with you today. And for us to really understand the truth of the church, we need to answer three questions with clarity. Three questions, and they're simply this. Who am I? Who is God? And what is the story? Who am I has everything to do with our identity. Who is God has everything to do with his character and what is the story? It's the question that says, how does my story connect into it? Most of the people I meet with when uh, either counseling or pastoring or coaching that what I often find where there's misalignment, where there's frustration, disruptions in life, or maybe some, even some more serious things, it often comes back to the question of identity. And so I'd say, sit with that question. What has most formed you? But what I want to do is share, how would the Philippians have understood? How would they have answered those questions? And I want to see if these align with your understanding yourself. Who am I? <clears throat> Asking the Philippians, they would have understood themselves as people who were saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ and they are now the children of God. They would have seen themselves as the beloved of God, that God looks upon them like he looks upon Christ. They would have heard Paul's words that they are co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Like they have amazing status, like God, like God just gushes over them with love just like Paul is in this letter. They would have understood that the power and presence of God actually indwells them and is to lead and guide their life. They would have understood that they are something new, that something old had died, but now they are a new creation and they're free and called to now live out a new life in a new way, in a new reality with a new group of people. And they had such clarity of focus and purpose. That is who they are. Is that your answer when you say with someone to ask you, who am I? What is your response to that? 
second question, who is God? The Philippians would have answered, well, God is love. That's what the teaching of the apostles have, has told us. And not just as God is love, God lives in love. Fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he lives in perfect love and he has extended that love that we could live in that, that we could know that as well for all who would receive Christ. They would have known that God is Jesus in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, who reveals God's loving kingdom. In fact, that was Jesus's mission. He said, behold, repent, for the kingdom of God has come. Jesus revealed the kingdom, and that kingdom brings life, that people would be freed from sin and brought into relationship with God for all who would make him Lord. Who is God? God is a God who is on mission to restore all things to the goodness of what they once were. That the kingdom would come on earth, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Philippians would have prayed that same prayer that we pray, pray today in the Lord's Prayer. And so that leads us to the story. And I know today there are so many stories banging and clanging around through our media and our own minds and in our own hearts. But if you were to ask, what is the one story? What is the headline above all stories? It's simply this. It's the story of God and what God is doing in this world. You see, Jesus reshapes our story with redeeming significance. You see, your story, my story, the Philippian story, our story now has eternal significance because Jesus's story, his life, takes all of these other stories, all of these other narratives and wraps them up under his redeeming love and new kingdom. That, my friends, is the story of our world. In other words, as we think of the church, I would say the life, the character, and call of Christ has now been made manifest, made known through his people, through the church. <clears throat> That's us. With the purpose of restoring creation, all that God has made back to its goodness, between God and humanity, between humanity with itself and even creation itself. How you answer those three questions, who am I, who is God, and what is the story, how you answer those will matter everything to your life and will shape everything in the life of the church. I wanna give you a few word pictures as we continue to think about what is the church, what is this life together that really Jesus and the scriptures give us. <clears throat> Before the church was known as anything, they were called people of the way. I always loved that description. In fact, I would love for us to be known today as people of the way. Because see, they weren't known as a noun. They were known as a verb. They were a movement, people of the way. They were described with words like koinonia, this deep fellowship. Um, not just tolerating one another, not just uh, accepting and trying to be nice and smile uh, with one another, but they had this self-sacrificing deep kind of love that actually helped them submit to one another out of love, just like they do for Christ. Paul calls the church the body of Christ with Christ as the head. The head controls the entire body, but the body is the one that moves. It's the hands and feet. He says, that's who you are today. Peter would talk about the church being a royal priesthood. Every single one of us together, a royal priesthood, a holy temple being built up. You see, priests and temple had everything to do with the presence of God. 
the church brings and mediates the presence of God, the kingdom here and now that will one day be fully realized. And in Philippians 3, just a few weeks from now, a few chapters from now, and again in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says the church actually has a new citizenship. Literally, the church is a new politic, if you can receive that. Because see, we have a king, and a king has a rule, and and a king has a people that submit to him as Lord. And that's who we are. That's part of our story. That is our identity as a church. Are you coming to see that if Christ lives in you and me, then we, the church, we are connected at a level much deeper than maybe we even understand and certainly more so than what we think about each day when we sit across from each other or gather in worship or in our small groups. It's not hard to imagine the love the generosity, the service, the sacrifice of what a community like that looks like when their full identity is rooted in Christ trying to live out the mission of God. So let me ask you, how does this begin to recolor your understanding of the church? Is it motivating you? Is it exciting you? Maybe it's really challenging you and rubbing you in some ways. That's okay. Remember, the whole church was rubbing each other wrong all the time. That's what it was like to be a fellowship of difference, but they were committed to something higher than themselves. I wanna just share with you a couple words from Jesus and one more picture of the early church before we close because you need to hear the power that Christ has put in us, the church. Listen to these words in John 17. Jesus is praying. This is right before he would be arrested and crucified. He prays, I am praying not only for these disciples, meaning the 12 that were with him, but Jesus says, I'm praying also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That includes the church of Philippi, and it includes you and me. He says, I'm praying that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Um, um, Father, as you, and, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Hang on right there. I mean, I don't know if you catch this. Jesus is praying that we would be one. You and I would be one with him and with one another the same way that he experiences oneness and love in the Trinity itself. He believes it's possible. And if we live that kind of life, when we learn to submit and love to one another with that kind of life, what happens? The world will believe that you sent me. We become the greatest gospel agent in this world by how we live life together. Another verse that Jesus says, this is in John 13. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by our love. He says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Again, what Jesus was repeating somewhat before, by how we love and relate and live life with one another, even in all of our differences, people are gonna see him because we are his manifestation here on earth as a church. And then one of my favorite passages of scripture comes from Acts 2. It's one of the earliest um, pictures we have of the church at our Butterfield campus, which was our Downers Grove branch. Uh, a year ago in August, we did a sermon series called Devoted, Church Reimagined, where we um, tried to say, could we actually live out the words of this scripture? But listen to just this first verse. It says, they, the church, all of these different people, they devoted themselves 
they devoted themselves. It meant at the most, the highest priority of their life, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is why they were so excited to get this letter from Paul. And to the fellowship, to breaking of bread, which would have been common meals and communion, and to prayer. You get the sense of how deeply committed they were to life together, even when it was hard. They knew. They knew who they were. And friends, here is my, I guess, big idea. The greatest witness that the world has today is how the church, how you and I, the church, live life together. It is the final apologetic and it is the story that actually heals and redeems all other stories. I was thinking the other day, if the church is being what the church is supposed to be, who they are supposed to be, if, if we, if you and I, if Christ's church is being who we are supposed to be, the question that popped into my mind was this, what does the Christian life look like? What does it look like for you? What does it look like for me? What does it look like when we're together? <clears throat> the other question was this, how does our story, if we're being who we are supposed to be, how does our story then become the story that transforms this world or maybe our Philippi or the Western suburbs? Do you love the church? Would you pray with me? Holy God, I'm just reminded again of Jesus' words who <clears throat> beginning his ministry said, repent for the kingdom of God has come, follow me. And God, that word repent was not, um, not a word to say quit doing bad things. Jesus was saying you need to stop being the way you were, how you thought of yourself as the people of God because the kingdom has now come and only through following me can you experience what true life is and a new reality and life together. God, where we need to repent, I pray that we repent. I pray that you will help us reimagine and, and, and understand church afresh. I pray that you will help us cultivate identities as your beloved children. I pray that we will come to seek you, our true Lord and Savior, and that we would come to see that your story is the greatest story that could ever touch or align or that we could devote our lives. And so God, we just pray for your church here, near, and far God, I pray for the people of God to live into this mystery of the gospel, life together in oneness and all of our messiness and all of our difficulty and all, I mean, the list, how we've separated ourselves and frustrated ourselves, I know is long, but God, help us to come back into the living room, back around the table to seek each other out in love of sacrifice, of encouragement, of correcting and rebuking where we need it. God, help us to learn how to live life deeply together because God, we want you to have glory. And God, we want the world to see Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
To my friends, to my community, to my church, to my fellowship of difference, receive this benediction. May grace and peace be to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ as we deepen in our shared life together. Amen.